Welcome to episode 125 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Crystal McFadden. She served in the Navy from 2002 to 2005. She needed to escape her hometown of Pittsburgh and saw the military as a way out. She signed up to serve in the Navy in July of 2001 and began preparing for boot camp when she graduated high school a year later. Even with September 11th changing the landscape of the military, she continued on her path to serve in the military. I found this interview fascinating because Crystal is now a psychologist, and we spent a lot of time talking about how your brain continues to form with the final stage of development happening between the ages of 18 and 26. And after this interview, I couldn't stop thinking about this conversation, so I wrote a blog post called Military Service Changes the Brain, and I got an overwhelming response on LinkedIn from people who found the information about how the military uses that last phase of development to help you form into an adult. And then when you become a civilian and you act a little bit crazy, some of it has to do with that fact that the military changed the way that you interact with people in that final stage of development. So I think this conversation is really interesting and I'm excited to share Crystal's story. So let's get started. Season 3 of the Women of the Military podcast. Here you will find the real stories of female service members. I'm Amanda Huffman. I am an Air Force veteran, military spouse, and mom. I created Women of the Military podcast in 2019 as a place to share the stories of female service members past and present with the goal of finding the heart of the story while uncovering the triumphs and challenges women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Like I said last week on Tuesday, each week in March, I'm highlighting a different podcast. And this week, I'm highlighting the Freedom Sisters podcast. This podcast has a very similar feel to the Women of the Military podcast. Carrie Jeter is the host of the podcast, and she is an Army veteran. And she has been on my podcast, and I've also been on her podcast. Carrie was episode 108 for the Women of the Military podcast, and she shared her story and some of the things that she has been working on. And in January 2021, she launched the Freedom Sisters magazine, which highlights women veterans and tells the stories of women veterans. She is working to be a voice for women veteran, and it's so great that she is also sharing the stories of military women. So if you love Women of the Military podcast, go check out her podcast and you can hear more stories of military women. So now let's dive into this week's episode with Crystal McFadden. Welcome to the show, Crystal. I'm excited to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being here. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? Oh, goodness. Um, I had no idea what the military was about. I was one of the first in my family to join. And all I knew was that at 17, my butt was getting out of Pittsburgh. The family was toxic. I was a stubborn teenager and I needed to travel. And so I was like, you know what? Let's join the military. Why? Well, I want to live in Hawaii. <laughs> Why not? Because that's how teenagers think. And what year was it when you graduated from high school? So I graduated in 2002. 
And I decided in 2001 that I was going to join. So I had my parents sort of force their hand a bit because they already knew I was leaving. So at least I was leaving somewhere stable. So I had them sign in 2001. And I started exercising with the other folks that were going to be joining in 2002. My recruiter was all about having us prepared. Most folks have these like horror recruiter stories. I had a senior chief and he was like, you need to know ranks. You need to know job titles. You need to know these, these different words and your butt needs to be able to run. And me being 5'2", I was not a runner. I was not athletic. And so I'm thankfully, I, I had 11 months of at least attempting to move before they started yelling at me. And so when you, you said 2001, what time frame was it? Was it before September 11th that you had like signed the paperwork and committed? I signed the paperwork in July 01 and I was set to leave in July 02. And so we were, I remember I was in, in the school because I only did half a days and I worked half a day my senior year. And so I was in school, like thinking about my work day in a couple of hours and saw everything happen with September 11th. And everyone's like, oh my goodness. And honestly, it didn't, it didn't phase me. Like I was so ready to go on an adventure. I was tired of being locked. Like we didn't do family vacations. We didn't do travel. No matter where I was going, I was ready to go. So that wasn't like a deterrent because you had already made up your mind that the military was what you were going to do. And so it was like, okay, well, that's that's new, but we're going to just keep pushing forward. If there's one thing my family has given me is a level of stubbornness that you just plow through. <laughs> Whether it's good, bad, or ugly, you plow through. And I've, I've honed that craft to be more obedient to whatever God says I follow. But at the time, it was like, this is what I am doing. So I am going. That makes sense. So you had almost a year to get prepared for boot camp. Did you feel like you were prepared to join the Navy when it came to time to go to boot camp? The illusion was that I was prepared. Like the head knowledge was there. Like I knew the basics that most folks didn't even know was a thing. Like E1 to E9, O1 to O10. Like those things about the culture, the honor, courage, commitment. Like I had had that ingrained in my head. I was not prepared for the essentially getting off the bus, not sleeping for three days, freezing in a classroom, being screamed at, like all of the chaos and the submission. I don't think that anyone can be prepared, especially when they were as headstrong and stubborn as I was at that period in my life. So it was quite an adventure and adjustment. I think I think you're right. I I liked how you talked about the head knowledge. And then because I felt like I was really prepared in the head knowledge. And then I got there and I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so that makes a lot of sense. You went to boot camp and then did you go to your tech school or did you go to your first base? How did that all work? So I went to boot camp in Great Lakes, Illinois. And then I went straight down to Pensacola, Florida for my tech school. My job was called Cryptologic Technician Administrative. And essentially in English terms translated for any civilians that are listening is I was someone who worked with a lot of classified material in more of an administrative relational communication type of sense. Was that the job that you really wanted 
Because you waited a long time. So were you able to pick the job that you wanted to do? I did. Again, I had a great senior chief sort of walking us through. So when I signed the papers, he's like, hey, your ASVAB is right here. And I think it was, I think it was like a 68 or something, which isn't terrible. Um, The top is 99. And so for me, he says, you pretty much can pick almost anything. I'm like, well, I want to be writing photography. He's like, that's the only one you really can't pick because you have to have a 99. (laughs) I was like, okay, so let's walk through my choices because you said almost anything and then you shot me down. And so he gave me uh, medical. He gave me crypto tech. He gave me the unclassified version of a crypto tech, which was Yeoman. And he gave me some sort of security something or other. And I was like, ooh, security clearance? Administrative, it sounds like less physically exhausting. I feel like this is my educated guess. And so after narrowing it down in your very naive 17-year-old fashion, like that's what I stuck with. So wanted it for all intensive 17-year-old purposes. That's a good point, because I feel like career fields are kind of like this gray area that like you have the name and you sort of have a description but it's really hard to understand what the job entails unless you're lucky enough to find someone which is what's great about the podcast because there's so many different people from so many different career fields so you can hear people's experience and not just it's this because I almost when I almost enlisted I was going to do avionics and that's all I really knew was avionics and you have a really long tech school and it's technical. And I was like, okay, sign me up. (laughs) And instead of like what it actually entailed and that's where, even with civil engineering, which is what I did as an officer. I mean, that's what my degree was, but I didn't really understand what the job was until I was on active duty. Yeah. I think for those who have never gone through the process, it's essentially a one sheet piece of paper with two or three paragraphs that give you this very generic overview of you could be this when you grow up. And yet you could be this in a place of 5,000, in a place of 15, in a place all to yourself in the middle of the ocean. Who knows? But you could be this in two to three paragraphs. That's true. And I did an interview last week with a yeoman and her first job was on a ship like in dry dock and they were cleaning and she's like, this is not admin work. And it was like, this is not what I signed up for. Like it was really tough labor every day. And she was like, how did I end up here? Because I thought I was going to be administrative assistant. And so that's, it's funny that, yeah, that's a really good point. It's like this little paragraph, but it doesn't really entail actually all that you could do and all the additional duties and all the different things. So yeah. I think the military as a whole is this idea and this expectation crinkled up like a piece of paper and thrown out into a thunderstorm (laughs) where it gets wet and ripped apart. And then you're like, and now you get to put it together and make it an effective document. And you're like, yeah, I could do that. Which I think why we all get out and be like, I can literally do anything. (laughs) Just tell me what you need me to do. That's so true. That's so true. It's like, oh, I can do that. That's no problem. Yeah, I'll figure it out. I've heard so many people, especially army people who are like, well, I just did this is a five paragraph off order. And I'm like, that's such 
it works for like business plans and stuff. And sometimes I think we think, oh, that stuff only applies to the military, but you really can translate a lot of the stuff that is kind of like crazy and convoluted. But if you can pull out the like negative military parts and just focus on like an op order is a plan, like a business plan, and it's a really straightforward way to do things. And it's been interesting to think like, oh, I do have these tools. They're just written in a, like a military language and you have to translate it. So after you finished tech school, you went where? Well, I said at 17, I was leaving Pittsburgh and I was moving to Hawaii. And the way that they worked our tech school, because there were so few of us, because they didn't pick a lot of CTAs, was if you scored the highest out of your wish list, you got first dibs if there was an opening to go there. And so there were two girls that were insanely competitive. My butt was in Florida. I had never seen a beach before. I was going to the beach after class <laughs> and they were so competitive. They both scored the top out of like 0.25% of one another. They both wanted to go home to Maryland and Virginia. And anyone who knows anything in the Navy knows that like anybody can go to Maryland or Virginia if you want to. So they killed themselves and got their orders to go back home to Maryland and Virginia. And the third top was me and my butt was going to Hawaii and they had an open spot. I was an E2. They had an E6 opening and by God's grace, they said I could fill it. So one lady was retiring and my new blood was coming in, not knowing a lick of anything to a command filled with O4s and above to a four, multiple four stars. And I just look back and I'm like, Lord, you were teaching me stuff before I even knew you so that I could navigate like my near 40 year old self. <laughs> That's crazy. An E2 and an E6 billet, which is like lots of years of experience. And then being around senior level officers as an E2. So what was that experience like? So I had a couple of E6 to E9s around me. And there I think there were two... There was an 01 and and two 02s, but the rest were like these high level folks being in a secure environment. We were downstairs in the basement. So you needed a badge. You weren't allowed in. If you weren't supposed to be there, there were flashing lights everywhere. And so the whole, it was very exciting to think that I was somehow important all of a sudden at 18 years old. What I learned really quick and what thankfully them being senior, like them being adults, those weren't other kids I was figuring out life with. These were a bunch of like mom, dad, brother, sister, adults teaching me how to an adult very quickly. The first thing that they did, I don't know if it was the first thing, but it's the first and most impactful thing that I remember is they were like, my maiden name's Mills. They're like, Mills, go scrub the walls in the hallway. And I'm like what do you mean? Like I'd never scrubbed a wall before. Like my mom cleaned, but I'd never like washed a wall. Well, if you're on a ship, you wash the walls. So this is what they had me do in the basement. So I got a bucket and I got a sponge. I took all these big pictures of all these important people and grand things down off the wall. I scrubbed the wall before lunch, dried it off. And then I said, all right, I'm done. What's next? And they were like, go to lunch, come back, do it again. I blew a gasket. My arrogant little snarky self was not okay with washing the wall that I just washed at my five foot two self again. And I'm like, what is going on? 
And I was so mad, but they needed to break my arrogance. They needed to break my pride so that I was teachable. And from that point forward, I was able to receive information that they shared with me where they were like, hey, go grab this. Hey, do this. Hey, don't do this first. Do this and then do this. They showed me the rhythm of teachability that by far most people would kill to have mentors who pour into them and teach them those little nuggets, those habits, those relational things the understanding of authority, they taught me that in a way that they knew I needed in a way that I could receive. And so for me, being around a bunch of brass and a bunch of like senior enlisted, I realized that these people didn't, they had my best interest in mind. They didn't want to see me fail. And so even though I was only there for three years, I went from E2 to E5 very quickly. And I was able to promote, I learned to volunteer, I learned to serve beside folks, whether I was lifting sandbags and doing a FOD walk for the base across the way, or I was pushing paper and delivering different classified documents or standing in front of a two star saying, I'm sorry, sir, your clearance isn't here. I know you just flew from across the ocean, but you cannot come in until we do this. And him screaming at me and me just standing there with patience and composure saying, not yet, sir. Like I, as soon as we're able, I will absolutely do this. And I don't think I would have been the adult I am if they hadn't pushed me to learn these lessons in ridiculous ways, like washing the wall. It sounds like because you were the, you were the only young enlisted person in the squadron. Well, I'll say squadron, but you know, that's not right for you. But that you got this like one-on-one mentorship or even like four-on-one mentorship where it wasn't like, sometimes you come in as like an E2 and like there's one senior NCO and all of these young enlisted people and they're trying to mentor all of them but because you were in like the opposite. You had like all these mentors guiding and directing you. So that's a really, a really cool and positive experience to hear about. It was really neat because it was like you came into the space and you went two different directions. So there was this department and this department. And each of us, like there was one young girl here, me, and then there was one young girl on that side. And you could just see the different cultures and the different way that we were poured into. And there was just a lot of great people that wanted to see the babies grow up to be impactful humans. And it was, it was like 20 on one and 20 on one. And we were all in a similar mission, but there was a standard to be kept. And just being a haphazard kid was not really an option. Yeah, that makes sense. So you said you were there for three years. Did you get out of the military or did you go to a new base after that? So I got out after three years. Um, I had saw myself doing a career, but at 20 some years old, you do dumb things. And so one, I was chasing a boy, which is the real talk, because why wouldn't you chase a boy at 20 years old? And so I was getting out, but I adjusted the wording so that I could get out early to go to school. And so it was a twofold thing because one, I realized that chasing boys is a really dumb idea. 
um, because it ended terribly. <laughs> but it brought me to another state. I ended up getting out to go to Washington State. And I got to see an entire part of the country that I wouldn't have seen if I would have got out and went home. Like it gave me college experience. It gave me work experience. It gave me traveling experience as a civilian that I don't know that I would have been brave enough later in life to do if I hadn't just like run amok. <laughs> so maybe not the best decision, but also a good learning experience. And you can look back on it and see how there were some good things that came out of it, even if maybe you weren't motivated in the right way to get where you went. They taught yeah. me to be teachable when I was a baby. So I had to find something to learn in the midst of chaos so that it would be valuable later. So what was your transition like? You said that you were chasing a boy and that ended badly. And then you started going to school. So what was the like emotional difficulties with like leaving the service? Or how was that transition like? The transition itself, I think, was a hybrid of surprise and grief and really just exploration. Like there was an adventure component to it. From the point of the relationship not being what I thought it would be, I realized that I really had to hone in on what it was that I needed to do. Simultaneously, what happened was while I was in the military, I had physical health symptoms that started to happen. But in the military, you just push through everything so you don't pay attention. And within a few months of getting out, my body went haywire to where I began a chronic health issue for the next decade, trying to navigate how to survive just my physical deterioration. And again, stubbornness kicks into play. So pushing through that while, set, while learning from this relationship, while trying to figure out professional goals, it was, I think it's, even though it was unique to me where I was and what was happening, it's not unique to many others who transition. You sort of get out and you hit this wall of there are some things that other people were learning while I was in the military that they now know how to do. They know about themselves. They know about what they want to do. They know how to communicate with others in the same way. And when you get out of the military, we use words that other people don't use. We have expectations of words work ethic and pacing that other people don't get. We approach things very straightforward, where, as we know now, the world softens up language a bit, and we have to adjust. It's not them adjusting to us, it's us adjusting. So we learn the skills, we just had to figure it out. And I think that's what I did was my journey was unique in all of the moving parts. But the same transition was like, whoo, what is happening? What vortex did I just step in? And how do I stabilize? Yeah, that really resonates with me because, you know, I transitioned. I understand. <laughs> I think the softening up part, I always think about this. When I was doing volunteer work, I would go in and I'd be like, hey, I need this, this, this. And they'd be like, hello, how are you? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I forgot I'm not in the military. And I have to like, because in the military, that's what you do. You just come in and you're like, hey, I need this, this, this. And then you go and do whatever. And like the civilian world, you have to like, hi, how are you? <laughs> and it's a really hard transition, especially because you're like trained to get stuff done. And so to like, it feels like you're wasting time having these like nice conversations, which is really funny. You need to do that, like build a relationship. But it's just like, I just need you to get this done. 
when I got out, my education journey ended up being bachelor's and master's in clinical mental health. And what I realized is our brain doesn't finish developing until the age of 24 to 26. And like you said, we're trained at 18, most of us, to get things done. And what I've really done and figured out in the midst of this is our brain was task oriented. And some of the frivolous relational pieces were cut out in our military culture. So our brain learned to look for rank, learned to look for job, learned to look for like who belongs where based upon what team they're part of. Because those markings are all over our uniform. We do not have to think about those pieces when we engage another human. Like I could look at you and I didn't have to think, oh, what's your name? Well, it says Huffman right on the thing or whatever your maiden name was. And people didn't have to look at me. They were like, oh, that's Mills. Like, <laughs> then they didn't have to look at like where I stood because they knew I was in E1, 2, 3, 4, 5, whatever. Or I could look at someone else and be like, oh, this guy's in charge. He has that insignia. And so all of that was wiped out. So when we transition, the things that were wiped out that we didn't even know we needed to know, we didn't even know we needed to do all of a sudden became like first priority. Like let's build a relationship first. So we know, like, and trust one another. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like we got it. We have something to do. <laughs> That's so interesting. The psychology behind it, because yeah, people would just be like, hello. And I was like, I don't need to, t like, I already know you. <laughs> That's so funny because you know I, I am, we've assigned the roles. Let's do this. Yeah. And especially in like the volunteer position, because like I knew who the boss was and I knew like what my role was and what this person's role was. So I was like, let's just get this done. And I was in ROTC from when I was 19. And then I and then I got out when I was 28. So like all that time, it was your brain formed around this subculture that said, this is how you do it. And now your brain's like, what do you mean you do it a different way? That's ridiculous. That doesn't even compute because all of my neurons are threaded a completely different way. <laughs> That's so interesting. That's like a whole, I'm starting a YouTube channel about like joining the military. I feel like that's a whole like episode for the YouTube channel to talk about because I don't think anyone talks about how your brain, like you, you're rewired when you join the military and you go through boot camp. but I don't think you understand like the mental aspect behind it. I just thought they like yelled it into you, but it's really like you're in that pivotal age of being 18. Form. Yep. Yeah. No, like you said, no one has talked about this, but like when I was in a, in a counselor role, sitting with folks who had served, I'm like, do not forget that like this transition is after your brain formed, like between 24 and 26, our frontal lobe finishes forming, which is your abstract thinking, your critical thinking skills, like all of the impulse control that says jumping out of a plane is a bad idea. Like we do that prior to 24 to 26 most often. And if all of that happened where we can go anywhere, do anything, fight anything, enter anything, like 
I know many of your your women who have gone to combat zones, like, yes, you know, it's dangerous, but you can also go to sleep while mortars are firing. <laughs> like, for some reason, that becomes okay, because our brain has adapted that as some level of normal or to be expected at some point. And it doesn't make it right. It doesn't mean it computes well with our moral part of us. But realistically, when we get out, it's such a bizarre place because everyone else's brain formed around who am I? What do I want to do? How do I interact with the world? When in the military, it's how do we function as one to get this thing done? And it, it's not the same. It's not the same order of operations. And when we hit, it's like, now we have to learn. Oh, who knew? We have to figure one another out and how to speak in a language that we can overlap. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Wow. I really, I really love that we talked about that because it's such an important topic because I feel like this is like a therapy session where I'm like, <laughs> I understand how I am now. <laughs> this makes so much sense. My brain isn't crazy. It just wired this way. And thankfully now, like there's proof that says we can rewire. There's proof that says our brain is elastic and malleable. And why wouldn't it be? Like the God of the universe literally created every single cell in our body to rejuvenate and and do what it does in a rhythm. So why wouldn't our brain, as it goes through the rhythm of this fallen world, say, you know what, I need to do something about this and begin to look in a way and say, this is a struggle. What do I do with it? And if we tell it, if we program it and say, this is just an opportunity to learn, this is not a struggle, this is not a barrier, this is not a stopping point, this is not a crash point, but this is an opportunity to learn, adjust, adapt, and grow, how cool could the outcomes 5, 10, 50 years down the line look? That's so true. It's just a different way of looking at transition. And I think that's part of what's wrong with the transition process is it's looked at as a military thing and they don't teach you the things that you need to know because they're just teaching you what you already know. And like that doesn't help. It's not that it doesn't help you, but it's just like we were talking about at the beginning, like the five thing off order. You can translate that and it can be really useful in the civilian world, but not if you use it like an app off order where it's like da 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 da. It's like a plan and it's so it's that's really interesting. I've loved where this conversation has gone. But let's jump forward a little bit about what you're doing today, because I know you showed me your book when right before we started the interviews. So let's talk about that and um, what you're doing right now. So. Right now, I wear many hats because currently, I mean, October 2020, I'm balancing two worlds. One is I do help Veterans Guard Reserve and spouses transition when it comes to career readiness. So I have an awesome role in Pittsburgh with an organization that targets meaningful employment, livable wages, so that the family is not under the stress of what do I do? How do I do this? And because money can sabotage a marriage, money can determine where your kids go to school, your well-being can be impacted. So one of my roles is that career readiness piece. And it's so much fun because I get to do counseling in a different way because I'm not a counselor, I'm a program manager. So I get to help my brothers and sisters who've served or serve as a spouse like I do now and navigate that role. But I also have my business, Crystal Conversations, where I do the writing and speaking piece. 
And so that is one of the opportunities where um, I went to a conference that allowed military spouses who love Jesus to connect with these writing and speaking opportunities. And they had a publication contest for the book they were going to release, Whispers of Grace. And I was one of the writers chosen to be a part of this anthology. And I know that it's really neat because when a solo writer writes, you get to give them what you think. When you get to be a part of a collaboration, you get to not only give your heart to that piece, but then you get to meet and learn about so many writers. And I know the Brave Women, Strong Faith was something you got to do in that same manner where you're like, wow, look at all these amazing brains and hearts that I got to do this with. Yeah, it's so true. And I love the way that Brave Women, Strong Faith brought all these different military spouse perspectives into one story. And so there's something for every military spouse in that book. And obviously not the all of the stories resonate with you, but I read them and almost all of them resonated with me in some sort of way. And I got something out of it. And I didn't feel so alone, which I think is what an anthology shows you is that you're not alone in the struggle because you can all write about this one focused topic and then share your story and then see how they interweave together. I love hearing different voices. And and I essentially, that's what you do here with the Women of the Military podcast is you get to hear different voices about a similar journey and realize that we have all navigated a similar culture. And it was a part of our life for different lengths of time and different events. But the beauty is we've come out learning something and we've come out with a purpose to give back to those who are coming up behind us. And the the joining of voices is essentially what we've been created to be anyway. I mean, when you look at Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, like God is three in one, like he is in community. And then Adam was created with Eve. There's a community. And so it's almost wired into us, especially when we start seeking what he's created us to be, that we should be in community. We should be coming together. We should be complementing the different gifts and skills that we have and put that into life so that it loves on somebody else. And so whether it's an anthology in a written form, whether it's a podcast like you've done, it's really cool to see that isolation doesn't get us very far. But when we come together, wow, Holy moly. (laughs) Yeah, and I think COVID has really taught us how important community is this year because we've been so isolated and it's been really struggle with like the mental health numbers are horrible. And just even if you're not struggling like with suicide and mental health, it's still it's so hard to be alone and not in that community. And so... Before COVID existed, (laughs) pre-2020, one of the things I always highlighted in my career readiness world, but also just in the veteran and the spouse space was because I have a mental health background, I've already seen the studies through and through that isolation exacerbates symptoms of depression, anxiety, PTSD, and then suicidal ideation, if not attempts. There were studies for decades prior that says, do not isolate. It makes things worse. It makes things feel worse. Don't do it. And then we hit 2020 and everyone says isolate. And yet 
no one remembers that there are piles of studies that says this is a bad idea. No one remembers the biblical foundation of community. Like it's like all of that went away for the sake of fear. And my heart cries because like you said, the numbers have gone up, but it shouldn't be surprising. It's simply validating that those studies were legit back in the day and that the need to create some level of connection, whether it's via video, whether it's calling folks on the phone, whether it's writing letters, I don't care what it is, wave at your neighbor, like tell, tell the people that you love that you love them and smile whenever you can to someone else because that human head and heart needs it. Yeah, that's so true. And that's the other thing that make math so difficult is that you can't even see people smiling. But yeah. So I I was going to end it, but then you brought up you were a military spouse. And I want to touch on the fact that you are a veteran and a military spouse and what that was like for you because you weren't married when you got out of the service. So there was a time you were away from the military. So what was it like to step back into the military, but as a military spouse? So... At first, I didn't pay much attention to it because once I had transitioned into a veteran, I didn't really think about my veteran status. It was sort of this thing that was pushed aside. Um, When I got this role to help in career readiness, it was sort of resurfaced and I had to like take a look at that part of my life because I hadn't touched it for so long. But then I realized not only am I a veteran, I'm a military spouse. My husband has been in the Army National Guard for 15 years and we've been married for almost 10. So this has been happening for a while that I didn't even acknowledge because the whole world doesn't acknowledge the military. It doesn't acknowledge those parts of your life. And at first, I was I was really mad when someone would call me an army wife or a military spouse. And I'd be like, I'm a veteran, too. <laughs> and it was almost like like it word vomited right out. So in your face that I was offended. And I was like, huh, I need to really look at this part of my my identity and process this. And now it's been about a year or two that I've really started to dig in because I'm a therapist. Why wouldn't you self-analyze? <laughs> and I've really come to respect, adore, and admire myself as a military spouse because I've been a military spouse longer than I was than I served. And I've realized that there are a lot of skills that don't get looked at. There are a lot of lifestyle choices that we don't appreciate and step in to support. And now when my husband leaves for three weeks at a time and all of my other friends and community group go, oh, I'm sorry, can I bring you a meal? Do you need anything? And I'm like, why? Like, he's gone for three weeks. Like, we got this. Me and my son got this. And I don't realize that being a veteran having served and seeing people go off to deployment, being a veteran, knowing that that's just what sometimes work requires you to do, that travel, it didn't click until I realized it's so far-fetched for the rest of the world that, wow, military spouses are rock stars. Like the women and men who hold down the fort, like homemaking is not easy. Like there are memes all over the place that a mother who stays home and raises kids is like a six-figure job that doesn't get paid. But you add a spouse who stays home, does the homemaking, the raising kids, and has the stress of worrying about if their counterpart is okay, is taken care of, is able to call that evening or that week or that month. Like that adds a level of rock star status. 
that now I'm grateful to understand both sides. And it's not offensive. It's thanks for noticing. Thanks for noticing that this role should be tended to, should be supported, should be watched over a little differently because there's a level of challenge that most families will never know. And there's a level of heartache and worry and community that this world will never know. And by God's grace, there are so many believers planted out through the bases that pray for and watch over and serve. But wouldn't it be cool if there were so much more? So true. I I totally agree. Military spouses are rock stars. This has been a really great interview. And I have one more question. But first, if people want to get in contact with you, you said you're a counselor and you're a writer and speaker. So how could people connect with you if they want to learn more about what you're doing? So if you look up Crystal Conversations, Crystal spelled like the stone, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L, Conversations with No Vows, C-N-V-R. STNS, really because I feel like we are a whole bunch of pieces mashed together and sometimes there's missing parts. And so Crystal Conversations LLC is my Instagram tag. That's probably the easiest way to follow and do a little social media stalking like most of us do before we actually reach out. And it's a great way to see examples of speaking and writing pieces. And you can look up crystalconversations.com as well to really get a, a few snippets of speaking, but some of my past writing and speaking engagements. That sounds great. And I'll have links to that in the show notes. So if people want to find it, it's really easy. And the last question I want to ask you is what advice would you give to young women who are considering joining the military? It's twofold. One is it, One is for both sides. One is know your value. And when you're joining the military, that part of you is just beginning. But don't question that you are a woman who was created with beauty from the inside and out. A woman is a strong individual who is called to do more things on this planet than most people could ever imagine unless they're a woman themselves. From emotions to physical demands, know your value because God created you with intention. Now, if you are a woman who is also a follower of Christ thinking that you are going to join the military, don't forget not only your value and who you've created to be, but don't forget the mission field that God has given you. Love God and love others. You have been called to love people in a way that the world desperately needs And I did not know Jesus when I served. And looking back, wow, what a need to be loved and feel loved in such a unique and eternal way that I can only hope to give back to the community now after the fact. But if you are joining as someone who is saved, who knows him, it will get you far in difficult scenarios. It will be your rock in difficult scenarios where most people are responding. You've already been equipped. And so regardless of who you are joining and you're considering it, know your value because you don't have to be anyone, but who you are that day and who you're growing into be, who you're choosing to grow into be the next. That's great advice. Thank you so much for sharing your story and giving us that insight about transitioning and why it's so hard. And just thank you for your time for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening 
listening to this week's episode of Women of the Military Podcast. Do you love all things Women of the Military Podcast? Become a subscriber so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a review. It really helps people find the podcast and helps the podcast to grow. Are you still listening? You could be a part of the mission of telling the stories of military women by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash women of the military or you can order my book Women of the Military on Amazon. Every dollar helps to continue the work I am doing. Are you a business owner? Do you want to get your product or service in front of the Women of the Military podcast audience? Get in touch with the Women of the Military podcast team to learn more. All the links on how you can support Women of the Military podcast are located in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and for your support. Thank you.